2: Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
1: Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number.
2: Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com.
3: Me, Danny Kelly, sitting in for Paul Hawksby and sitting in with an equally grey beard these days, but very distinguished indeed, <laughs> Andy
0: Townsend. Hi, Andy, how are you? I'm really good, Danny, really good. And uh, i looking forward to the show today because... Obviously, usually when I'm no doubt we'll be getting stuck into the football, but the golf today is, yeah. you know, absolutely uh, incredible. Just an electrifying start from Team Europe, so we'll be getting stuck into all of that.
3: Absolutely, we will. As I say, Stan Collar will join us to preview all the weekend's football. Um, the great Stuart Broad will be here with us as well on the day. And he's got his own stand named after him at Trent Bridge. Fantastic. We'll be talking to Jeremy Kyle about his new show. Much else besides a whole load of stuff that, uh, if I put it in a weighing scales, would weigh about a ton of great stuff. Uh, I want you to belong for as much of the ride as you can. And um, welcome once again to H and J. In this case, Danny Kelly and Andy Townsend. Yeah, I know I shouldn't say this in case the management are listening. Yesterday's first hour was it was insane. Everybody was going mad. It's my fault. I started too high. Um, you I was went so, early. So excited to be back in the studio. I was <laughs> roaring and shouting about this, that, and the other, and everyone took their cue from me and everybody. But you are a calming influence. Now, ah. there's a reason why I'm going to say the next thing I'm going to say, everybody. Um, and it's not just to blow smoke in the general direction of Andy Townsend, but he and I have um, worked together before, of course. Yes. And, um, and we're doing it now as well. But nearly, goodness, it's nearly 30 years ago, we were in a building together yes. where very important things were happening. Um, Andy, -hmm. of course, in that great Republic of Ireland team in the 1990 World Cup, and I was there in the giant stadium the day the... 94. uh, 94, yes. Italy 90, uh, USA 94. And I was in the stadium in New Jersey where mm. the Republic beat Italy, a, a proper Italian team, by the way, mm. by a goal to nil. The reason I'm bringing this up, apart from the pleasure of warming my hands on the slightly of Andy Townsend there, <laughs> is um, you played in that team with Ray Houghton who got that very lucky goal. He would, the winning goal, Ray Houghton here on TalkSport many, many years, you, you remember him, brilliant broadcaster. Ray would always tell you what a great goal that was. But I mean, you said to me earlier on, it's still going in there, isn't yeah, it? No,
0: yeah, no. Ray Ray was a fantastic player and uh, and a scorer of big goals in big games. Ray, particularly for Ireland, he yeah. really was, and uh, and none bigger than that one that day on his left foot as well. Yeah, and as about, say, foot, kind of... foot is exaggerating as well, I think. Yeah, shin? It, well, it kind of. Yeah, I think I think sort of the yeah that little area the between the bottom yeah. of shin and not yeah. really a foot. It's in no yeah. man's land yeah. there a little bit, and uh, but but he, he sort of floated it, drifted it, didn't he, over the, over the goalkeeper into the back of the net but and it, the crazy celebration, which it's I believe a, you was also joining
3: in. Just for those of you who've never heard me say this before, I mean, we England against... Sorry, Ireland against Italy. Calm down, Danny. Ireland against Italy in the biggest Italian city outside of Rome and the biggest Irish-based population outside of Dublin, probably bigger than Dublin. Um, absolute mad ass when the goal went in. Italian people screaming in agony. Spurs, uh, sorry, uh, Irish people screaming with joy. Um, and um, I was there with Danny Baker. We were doing a programme for the BBC at the time. And um, he sat there through this 90 seconds of pandemonium following <laughs> the goal. And when... Um, when we all sat down again, he returned to me and went, I get this now, I'm the only Protestant in this stadium. And, and it was true, it was absolutely true. The reason I'm asking you all this, of course, yes. is to get round to the Ryder right Cup. Because I know from working with him here on kickoff for years, mm. Ray Houghton is a golf fanatic, but so are you.
0: I, I, Better or more or less fanatical than I'm Ray? Not, I would be less fanatical than Ray, and I'm not as good as Ray either. Um, but uh, I, I, I love it equally. I've, I played 18 yesterday, 9 the day before that, and... Um, How'd you and get I, on? I, yesterday, not very good. I played with my two lads and uh, the youngest boy hits it an absolute mile, as most of the young guys do nowadays. Um, the day before, I played with some friends. We, we I live in the Cotswolds and we, we're a member of a club there and we've got, got a healthy little uh, number of lads that just rock up and play, which is great fun. Um, I really enjoy it. I I, I love it. Down. I don't actually want to get, and I know this sounds stupid, but I don't want to get any better I'm a 10 handicapper so I'm kind of you know I'm average That's I'm, pretty good, isn't I'm it? not bad yeah. I have my days when I'm a bit better than that and I have lots of days when I'm worse than that And but I, I enjoy it all the same I think sometimes with, with golf and amateur golf you're desperately trying to improve and improve and improve and it can sometimes spoil the actual the art of what is going out for a walk okay. with your mates for four hours and then having a beer after um, let me ask you a question then about we're seeing we're watching
3: the golf we're getting on to Bob, Bob could be joining us very very soon legendary golf uh, commentator and of
0: course it's all live over on Talksport too. Do you wish you were there in Rome? Do you know I, I I listened to Al and Ali this morning and I must admit I I thought oh because again I've been so lucky, Danny, playing in some some big football matches over mm. the years and and commentating on many of them. Um It's always lovely when you are part of it and you're there. And I listened to the guys this morning. I thought, oh, yeah, that would have been really lovely. However, the best seat in the house to watch golf, and I, and I know this doesn't. Go for all sports, but without doubt, the best seat in the house is the one in your front room. It is, isn't it?
3: Oh, yeah. I, I, I think it's a, a, There are lots of sports. I mean, there, there's the comparison between being a live football match and watching it on TV. They're both amazing experiences. With the golf, and I haven't been to any many of these big tournaments, I suspect you're always. You're, you might be
0: lucky, you might see the brilliant shot. Yep. but you might hear the roar from a brilliant shot. That's what happens two hundred yards away. away. Yeah. yeah, that's what happens. I went to watch actually Ryder Cup at the Belfry, uh, and I followed Nick Faldo around an awful lot. I think for about twelve or thirteen. Not many holes. laughs then. And he's well, no, but he was he was always compelling to watch him, and uh, and he stepped up on one particular hole. I can't remember. I think it was like the thirteenth or the fourteenth at the Belfry, and I just wandered off to go and see something else, and I heard this huge roar. He just got all in one, and uh-huh. I. I'd followed him all the way around, you know, so, which is pretty typical of what can happen. But that, I I just think watching it at home is just so spectacular. And and, uh, I'm really looking forward to the weekend. Later in the show, we'll be talking to the man who, when
3: UK and Ireland were getting tonked by America, this is a long time ago now in the Ryder Cup, and it wasn't a competition, it was an exhibition for the power of American golf. He was the one who took the the whole thing by the scruff of the neck and said, we're going to have this thing, we're going to do it properly, and today we see how close and competitive it is. Not today, apparently. Tony Jacklin will join us later on, a legend of the golf game as well. Um, The other thing, so golf um, and... I was delighted to hear, and um, you know, we'll get on to the golf in just a few minutes with Bob Bubka. Um, Andy and I have worked together for years, but you don't you don't get to know people really. We just talk one thing or another. And you told me a that you're a very keen guitar player, mm. and I was delighted to hear that he has far too many guitars. Yes. and even even at an advanced age and having been married for several decades, you have to sneak the new guitars you into do. the house. You do. I hope. I- and your great mates with Tony Iommi
0: of Black yes. Sabbath. Yes. Yes. Uh, and 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 what? A, look, listen, Tony. I. I an icon, a such a, a legend, a, you know someone who pretty much invented a, a genre of music. But how, yeah, right? yeah,
3: Black Sabbath could argue invented both that that's kind of slow core and a heavy metal yeah. all at the same time. Yeah.
0: how come your mates with him? So we we lived, we lived across the road from each other for. All oh, fifteen odd years when you'd and been the, at the
3: villa, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I
0: was sort of finishing my career. I'd been at the villa, and we were kind of south of Birmingham Airport, uh, tucked away in the in the sticks a little bit. And Tom was opposite me. Jasper was up the road. Jasper Carrot. A few yep. doors out. Bev Bevan was round the corner from the move in know, the ALO. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it was um, it, it, lovely times and all fantastic people.
3: I, I just wanted because I wanted to tell you this. Uh, on air, um, because just as Tony is regarded as a lovely, lovely fellow, you know, yes. despite the black clothing and all that stuff, and the yes. Black Sabbath and all the rest of it, his oh, great, great rival, bloke. of course, over the years was Richie Blackmore, right. um, the lead guitar player with Deep Purple, who were their great rivals over the year. Yes. Richie, of course, has gone off to a different place in the world now, and he's something yep. he's a professional wizard and uh, yep. he makes kind of a medieval music and all the rest of it. But back in the day, when I was in the music press, Deep Purple had a five-a-side team, right. and um. And they took it very seriously, and they were play teams against team musical journalists. So I'm playing, um, and Richie Blackmore's on there, and Richie is both play playing, and he's not very good. The rest of their sort of roadies are very, very good, and but. Not only did Richie was allowed to go off because he's the leader of the band, he was allowed to go off for a fag every now and then, but he had his own substitute. The other players were rotating in and out, but yeah. he had an individual substitute to come on. On you come, he, son. Just, and he, he was very fit, <laughs> and I was worried, in case he was a ringer, yeah. but Blackmore had his own special substitute, like so he it. could go
0: off and get Do a know, fag during the five-a-sides. It's funny, there's always been this correlation where, where people in football have always really... We've all, and I know lots like me who adore their music and love going yeah. to watch live gigs. Well, you got a lot spare time, stuff Yeah, <laughs> and then and then also it's kind of reciprocal, Dan, where the people in the music industry mm. get love so besotted about their football and about their team, and and so uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. There it's was lovely. a time
3: in the eighties where that wasn't true, when the violence in the grounds was a big, a huge way. Mm. Um, I found that musicians were very, very keen to distance themselves from this football. And I remember going and seeing the band The Wedding Present. They're still going now in Leeds. Wow. And they had their Leeds United scarves hanging off the edge of their guitars. And that was enough for me to to write about that because football was so you know, among the sort of hipsters of of, of indie music were so out of fashion, yeah. they were led, they started, and the House Martins, of course, calling their album, you know, London Nil Hull 4 yeah. started to bring it back now, of course, you you have to wear a football shirt if you're on stage, otherwise people won't go and see you. <laughs> we'll have a little break for now, and when we come back, we'll be getting all the latest stuff uh, from Rome, whereas, uh, you know, you d- Let's not gloat yet, because it's all happened in the Solheim Cup. But Europe have made a fantastic start. No other word will you, will suffice. Now the Ryder Cup is past the opening ceremony, which I was taking the mick up yesterday.
1: <laughs> Diana Ross, that's my opening ceremony. Yes, I was listening yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast.
3: OK, we'll get stuck into the weekend's football, including that huge game in North London between Spurs and Liverpool a little later. We'll keep you bang up to date with everything happening in the gulf. Now we're going to change handbrake turn, really, sports-wise, because we're going to talk to... And he won't won't be embarrassed by me calling him a legend of cricket, but he wants to talk about baseball, among other things. I'm delighted to say we're joined once again on TalkSport by the wonderful Stuart Broad. Hi, Stuart. Hi, you okay? Yeah, very, very good indeed, Stuart. Um, uh, I know you've had a very... Let's start with a very big honour that's been bestowed upon you today. I'm I'm sure you've uh, looked with envy over the years at the Jimmy Anderson stand at Old Trafford. And now, thank goodness, there's a Stuart Broad stand from today at Trent Bridge. I mean, that is an incredible honour.
4: Yeah, it's hugely special. Yeah, it's um, particularly with... You know, growing up here with my dad playing for Nottinghamshire, I've got great family history here. You know, playing on the outfield here as a three, four year old kid to, you know, if you'd have told me back then that there'd be potential to have uh, an end here at Trent Bridge, my favorite ground in the world, somewhere where I've had some incredible sporting memories and moments with teammates with Nottinghamshire and England, it's it's a huge honor. And, uh, you know, the huge thank you has to go to the club, the committee, and the members that have have made that happen. It's it's been a really special day.
0: Stuart, you deserve it, pal. You really do. Now, I trust that uh, that stand comes with your own executive box that produces some of the finest wines and food every time you wish to frequent
4: it. Actually, that's a good question. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I need to have a bit of an input on the wine list. That uh, that's, that's was such a footballer question,
3: down. Andy. That's so <laughs> entitled.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, I mean, right, a serious question about it. We've seen Jimmy um, running in from the Jimmy Anderson end. Um, do you regret not getting a chance, Stuart, to actually bowl in front in front of your own stand?
4: Uh, no, I don't. No, I mean, I uh, I must admit, I I couldn't have wished for a, a better finish with the way my, my career ended. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I actually texted Jimmy last night when I, when I knew about, about this, cause I got my 600th test wicket at the, the James Anderson end, which was, was really cool. And, um, yeah. Jimmy's on six, nine, two. So I texted him last night wondering whether it's written in the stars that Jimmy will get his 700th test wicket at the Stuart Broad end at Trent bridge. That'd be, uh, that'd be quite a cool little matchup, but no, I, I mean, I don't, um, I, I don't have any regrets about sort of moving on from the game. It's a, I knew that I wanted to be in love with, with cricket when I finished. And I think that was something that That's definitely happened. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to try and leave at the pinnacle of the game. And, and for me, the Ashes cricket's the pinnacle. And, and to take a wicket with my final ball to win an Ashes test match is... An absolute fairy tale, really. So, to for that to have happened, you know, no regrets at all.
3: I'm cutting for five or six years forward when a 45 year old James Anderson takes his thousandth test week at the at the Joe Root stand at Headingley. Um, <laughs> of course, of course they, they don't get any tests at the moment, so they won't. That won't yeah, happen.
4: He'll keep going. He's he's a he's a machine. That guy he just keeps going. He's like a Rolls Royce. He's uh, he's got a great action. It, it looks after him, and you know, he's uh, any any professional sports person who's still. Who's still performing at 41 um, has a lot of respect in my eyes, Stuart. Um, you're you're actually coming on here
3: because, of course, you're immediately you're you finished at playing the game. Uh, your media career has taken off. I'm sure very satisfactorily for you. And you're coming on to talk about um, getting involved with baseball. Is this because you're a huge baseball fan, or is this a learning experience for you? Do you know what it's?
4: It, i would never even held a baseball. It, it's uh, very much a a beginner, very much a beginner in, in baseball. But uh, so the BBC are showing the postseason, um, yeah. a Saturday showdown on, the, on Saturday, the 7th of, of October, which is a marathon of, of baseball games on the BBC. And, and uh, I've, I've not played baseball, I've not followed a huge amount of, of baseball. And being 37, uh, having moved away from, from cricket, I was like, yeah, I need a couple of different sports to follow. So I went and, and met a, a World Series winner. Uh, Chase Utley at, uh, in down in Surrey, and he taught me some some baseball. And uh, honestly, it was the first time I'd ever held a baseball. But but when I've been in America, on the odd occasion, people ask what I do. I said, oh, you know, I play cricket. It's sort of the the English version of baseball. So it was it was silly that I'd never even played the game. And it, I got that exact same feeling when I played as I did as a kid at, at cricket. You know, when you hit the ball, when you when you take a catch, although there's slightly different techniques when you take a catch and. And throw a pitch. It's that real, like buzz that you, that I got as a youngster playing cricket. So yeah, I, I think I've very much a beginner. Never really watched, and certainly never played. But uh, they've, they've got a new fan in me.
0: Yeah. What's what's more terrifying, Stuart? Facing one of those facing one of those Aussie bowlers firing one down at you at ninety plus mile an hour, or standing there facing one of those one of those pitches.
4: Um. Mitchell Johnson in Australia, nothing will ever get more terrifying (laughs) than that. He was was an absolute beast. But it's slightly – so the baseball um, marks slightly shorter. But I think in cricket, because there's that intimidatory factor that you can bowl bouncers and almost try and, like, push the batter back on the back foot and try and hit them, whereas the baseball, they're so accurate at throwing it into the strike zone that – they don't try and aim for your body. So if you know they aim for your body, that's when it sort of kicks off a little bit because you know it's a deliberate throw. But right. it's uh it feels quicker because it doesn't bounce. So in cricket, when the ball hits the pitch, the pace comes out of the ball a little bit. Yeah. But because it's on the full, it feels really quick. And I had no clue with these knuckle balls and curve balls. I couldn't get anywhere near them. The the pace balls were okay, but as soon as there was some sort of spin on them and they were dipping from from such a short sort of distance away, they were they were really difficult. But I I, I love playing it.
3: And, and Stuart, the um the two sports, you say on the surface they're quite similar, but I you know, I've watched a reasonable amount of baseball because it's on late at night when I'm up messing about. Um but there there is one huge overlap and that is the improvement in the fielding in cricket over the past twenty years. Some mm. of that came out of watching baseball techniques. The way that the cricketers now throw the ball mimics mm. the way the baseballs were doing it for a hundred years.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And there was a lot of um, baseball coaches, actually, fielding coaches came over to, to uh, particularly English cricket, I think Australian cricket a little bit, because uh, you see the baseball throw from from the outfield and the ball just goes flat, like straight into the mitt. And there was sort of in cricket, we're throwing from similar distances and it would loop in. But ultimately yeah. the goal in cricket is to throw it flat and try and hit the stumps from anywhere. So um, the techniques in, in baseball, for for the for the throwing particularly are, are incredible the power and the pace they get on their arms uh, and cricket particularly since the IPLs come around and more T20 cricket the um, the fielding standards have have gone through the roof and and baseball plays a big has played a big role in that
2: mm.
3: well you mentioned you mentioned um, the, the 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 IPL and of course it's to India we'll turn our attention next I think we're six days away from the start of the World Cup um, Stuart where well, you'll have to take a few seconds off from watching baseball. Um, to watch the World Cup uh, because because the the conditions are so different in India, I'm not really sure what to expect of England. What, what's your own feeling? How will they get on?
4: I think England, are, you know, they world class side. Although they're they're not ranked particularly highly at the moment, I wouldn't I wouldn't look too much into the rankings. I think when you look at the team and you've got players like Joe Root, Ben Stokes, Joss Butler, Chris Wokes, Moe Nally, Adil Rashid, when you when you have that sort of quality, you're always going to be in with a a great shout in a World Cup. I think what leans me a little bit towards India being favourites is you look at the history of the last few World Cups. India won in in India in 2011. Australia won in Australia 2015. England won in India 2019. So there does seem to be a rhythm of the home teams being very successful in in the in their home World Cups. But I, I could see if I look at the semi finalists you know i i think england will be really disappointed if they don't make a semi final or final um i think india will will definitely be be in the final and then obviously the finals a bit of a shootout isn't it it's uh one day you've got to get it right but there's some strong teams uh but i think india and england are, are probably the top two
3: and i was i mean and it's but it's also a, a cliche to say pace has no place in india because if you look at the indian pace attack and the pakistani pace attack People are obviously learning, Stuart, how to deal with those pitches at very high pace.
4: Yeah, I, I, I think it's a little bit of a misconception yeah. to think that the pitches are going to turn and be really difficult to bat. I think the pitches are going to be amazing to bat. I think you're going to have to be right on top of your game as a as a bowling group, yes. We might see the pitches get a bit more tired through the tournament. So come come the, the knockout stages, you might get a little bit more sideways movement through the dryness. But I I, I think they're just going to be really really good cricket pitches. Uh, I think there might be a bit of pace and carry on the odd occasion, but I think the batters are going to have a bit of field day in the in the in the group stages. So um, yeah, it, 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 I think it's going to be a really exciting exciting World Cup, and we've got some great players on show we have the likes obviously Virat Kohli still still playing having great success Shubman Gill is a young player from India who is lighting up the show at the minute and and England have been playing some pretty good stuff themselves beating New Zealand at, at home so um, you know what these World Cups are like you just need mm-hmm. two or three players to shine in your team and, and carry the rest of your team to, to success yeah
0: just finally Stuart how have you found life so far then? Having having retired from something you've done so well and loved for so many years, he's but.
4: busier now
3: than he was then, as far as I can see. Yeah, I must
4: admit it's, it, it, I have felt like busier, but I think when you play professional sport, your life's so structured. It's training is that then travel is here, games are here. You, you know, you don't have a choice of when England play Australia or not play Middlesex. You, you're there, uh, and um, I think I probably have found the lack of structure quite refreshing. For this little period, but I know that I'm, I have to get very organised with life pretty quickly as well. Uh, and I I've sort of had the mindset that I wanted to try some different things, um, not sort of get too committed down one route uh, straight out of the game, because ultimately I wasn't planning to to move away from the playing side this summer. It just sort of happened. Um, so I haven't got any major plans in the in the in the winter apart from try and watch Nottingham Forest play and get three points in the Premier League a bit more often. Um, mm-hmm. And See, sorry, I should have probably said see my daughter and Molly a little bit more first. <laughs> so yeah. I'll that. I want to see Molly and Annabella more yes. and be able to watch Forrest a bit as well.
3: Yeah, so Molly and Annabella, then the football, then the baseball, which uh, is on the BBC, yeah. and then Boom. the cricket. Well done, Stuart. Thank you very much indeed, Stuart Broad. As I say today has had a very, very rare honour bestowed upon him. Think about Alex Ferguson at Old Trafford, James Anderson at Lancashire, the near-the-stand now at the Trent Bridge is called the Stuart Broad Sand.
1: The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Now Hold that, please. Level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you.
0: Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to you, it's in the parcel Rise plug sale.
1: The most important thing is what? Sorry.
0: The single most important thing is to work, in the channel has been bingus of the bypassal rise plug sale, and you'll be fine.
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds important.
2: Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense. LinkedIn knows how.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds.
3: Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? Paul likes to play those rinky-dinky, funky things, doesn't he, at the start of the <laughs> sections, um, I hope you've got this up nice and loud at home. Oh, yes. Black Sabbath and uh, and uh, Paranoid. Um, from the moment when they, along with The Who's live album leads Leeds, were inventing what became the global phenomenon of heavy metal. Mm. And I was amazed this morning when I was talking to Andy about this, that and the other. Anything except talking about the blinking football, which we're paid to talk about. So <laughs> yeah, uh, here that you are. Great friends with the the writer of this song uh, yeah. and, and the guitar player Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath. Yes, but it's not just that you, he's a neighbour of yours and it's hello uh, T- Tony, don't forget to put the bins out. Yes, you you you,
0: you get to jam with him and stuff. Well, I haven't done that, Dan, because I'm not that good. But, Hang on, you uh, told but... me you played with, with, with Dio. Yes. Oh no, 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 no. He, oh, I mean, again, he, Tony me down already. Beep. Tony, beep, um... beep. Tony is just such a great bloke, and he's the ultimate Mickey taker as well. I mean, he could have been—he could have survived Tony in a football dressing room, wow. because he is always, always, always taking the Mickey. And 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 you know, things were turning up outside my house that I'd ordered, which I knew I hadn't ordered. I'm thinking, I didn't order this, you know. Cement mixer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and all of a sudden this thing's like on my front lawn, you know, and it's come from Mr. who who's looking, peering out the window opposite, you know, laughing at me. But um but no, he's just uh he's just such a great bloke and uh and I and I just also adore the music. I love it. And I fail I fail to to or oh, it defies I defy anybody not to be sort of in their foot a bit to this well, one and just know, move in that, a little no, bit. That's,
3: that's personal tasting, there'll be people going, what the hell is that, you know. But, but listen, um, we also learned then, and uh, you know, as somebody who, I have an addiction to vinyl, vinyl records, okay, mm. and lots of chaps, it doesn't quite tend to be women who get these addictions, they may have more important things to do with their lives, that's my actual suspicion. And now with the risk of getting you into trouble with the lady wife, mm. how many guitars do you own? I've probably got
0: about seven or eight. Uh, something like that. Um, one, and of them, one of them was Tony Omi's SG. One, Tony gave me one of his SGs. As which a Gibson is, SG which, for the teenagers out yeah, there. Which one is, of the
3: great noises that made with a guitar.
0: His signature guitar. Um, and I've got about three or four, three, I think, are Taylor acoustics, which are really lovely. They're really yeah. nice. A, 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 like a little one, that, like an Ed Sheeran size. Right. One of the smaller ones. that Apparently, you know, the idea of to convince my wife about that one was well look if we go anywhere and I just want to throw travel. something in the back of the car travel guitar it's only yeah. a little and it doesn't take up too much room
3: yeah and right, she actually so, fell for that and she, she? So she went for that all line yeah. and I mean, my
0: suspicion is she knows what's happening to her here but go it, on, yeah. exactly and then uh, and a and a and a couple of other Taylor acoustics. I recently bought one, which is uh, you know an in between. I haven't got this size, and this is a different sound with this one. So um, yeah, all right, okay. And you need got a ju- and you need a juggernaut, as they call the great exactly. big acoustics. Yeah, and but
3: I mean sorry, dreadnought, dreadnought. Yeah, But yeah. Last, lastly, you also said that you know you've got your busy man, you do your media, you've got family, all the rest mm. of it. You hang around in Denmark Street. For those of you unfamiliar with that that's a particular thoroughfare yes. in central London, that's where all the guitar
0: shops are. are. So you
3: go down there and tempt yourself, and, do you? Well, you,
0: you, if you walk in, in and out of those places, then it's very, very tempting to sometimes add to, to that ever-growing collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some pieces in there, Then You can go in there and see a guitar that was once played by... by I don't know by any but yeah. by any of the greats from you know it might be a, a, a Richie, Rory Brackmore, Gallagher, whoever, yeah. Gallagher, yeah. whoever. It could be, and they have like twenty grand, twenty five. Yeah, grand. Yeah, what's that? That's not a problem for you though, is yeah, it? It is, I'm afraid. Uh, oh. So uh, no, so I but but I do like going to those, and I do I do love uh, I do love the music. I love going to those rock gigs, and Tony's taken me to so many. Um, but because it's, not, it's always I find it fascinating seeing sixty year old men and women. Squeezing themselves into a bit of leather, you know, with
3: piercings. (laughs) We're going to yesterday's show again now, aren't
1: we? Yeah, but (laughs) it is bizarre. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Yeah, welcome back
3: to the second hour of three of today's edition of Hawksby and Jacobs. Um, sadly, two substitutes, I'm afraid, today. Me, Danny Kelly, and him, Andy Townsend. A lot to get through in the next hour, including we'll be joined by Stan Collymore uh, to go through all the big fixtures at the weekend. Spurs and Liverpool, Manchester United and Palace. Um, Andy's played for so many of these clubs, I can't just pick out the ones that he'll be most <laughs> interested in. Um, and we'll have the Fools panel for you. But before all that, I mean, you all know my my devotion to professional cycling. I am not only delighted, but I would say thrilled to say that uh, uh, coming into the studio right now to join us, um, one of the great endurance cyclists, time triumph cyclists, cyclists, all kinds of professional cycling of the past ...and um, 15 or so years. His new book is out, it's called Bloody Minded, and we'll explain why in a second. Um, my life in cycling, you know, it's, it's a delight to meet Alex Dalsett. How are you, Alex?
2: Very well, thanks. Thank
3: thanks you very well much indeed. That was quite a build-up, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, all, nice. but all entirely deserved. Um, we'll get on to why it's called Bloody Minded in a second, and we'll get on to your cycling career, because of course, um, a book, it's not something that just happens by magic... And you've been you've retired what, but just over a year now, I think it's fair to say. Um, what, what, why did you decide to write a book, and what, what did you hope to achieve by it?
2: Well, I mean, I was, I was approached because um, at Bloomsbury thought that my story was worthy of. Oh, big of book posh writing. publishing house as well. All yeah, good. it's all good. Yeah, all very surreal. Um, you know, to to be at a point where my life up till now has been worthy of of putting into writing.
3: I mean, the thing mm. is, Andy was talking to me off-air a few seconds ago, and uh, Andy, and you yes. Alex, and Andy. Good to um, see Alex. The, uh, you, Alex. Know, uh, the difficulties he had when he first retired, because we were talking to Stuart Broad, and when he first retired from playing professional football, after, well, I guess, I guess over tw- 25 years, I guess yeah. you were a
0: professional, weren't you? Yeah, well, playing football, damn, for yeah. for, a, for a long time. 38, and, it is, yeah. and it can be a uh, difficult time for individuals when you first pack up.
3: Did you, mm. did you find that? Because obviously cycling, training, sleeping, racing, that's pretty much it, isn't it?
2: Yes. Yeah, certainly adjusting to the the real world has been uh, quite eye-opening. Murder, uh, innit? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um I think a big the big thing I had on my side is that I decided to stop on my terms. Um mm-hmm. I feel for the guys and girls that stop through injury um or sort of circumstances outside their control. I was I was ready to stop. I felt like I'd achieved everything I could. I w- I was happy with what I'd achieved. I was content and I wanted to spend more time with the family and and, and pardon the pardon, close the chapter and and open a new one.
3: Uh, Let me ask you this question because Andy and I were discussing again before we went on air. I mean, the stuff we did off air was much, much better than this show, I can absolutely (laughs) assure you. Um, And I know people are saying that wouldn't be hard, but uh, um, we were talking about cycling because I'm nuts about it. And it is so extraordinarily difficult what cyclists, men and women, are doing. Um, I have a friend who's a doctor who says, you know, the, the big tours—they're doing a marathon and a half every day for three weeks. It's insane. I, c- could you see that when you're in the sport? Now, or is it now only with the distance of a year that you could see what you were doing <laughs> every day with yourself?
2: I think, yeah, when you're in it, it's like you don't—I don't know any different. It's all uh, the moment I left school, I was a full-time cyclist, so I really—I don't know any different. Races got longer, and. Um, in some aspects easier but in some aspects harder as well i think the difference between amateur and pro racing is in amateur racing it's quite hard all the time pro racing when it's easy it's very easy like we give ourselves a break when it's time to like not race but then when it's time to go it's it's biblical um yeah
3: we're watching the golf which is an individual sport which has got a team aspect to it now I was watching the Vuelta de España um, in the last couple of weeks where the, the Jumbo-Visma team were just... Dom- sorry for people not cycling geeks, I'll explain this. One team called call Jumbo-Visma absolutely dominated and they had three riders who could have won the stage race. So the usual thing is you have one rider who can win it, everyone else supports them. Now, they were all being very chummy with each other at the end of each day and kissing each other and hugging each other and giving each other high fives. Is it like that in cycling teams or is, that, is there an understandable undertow of competition even between teammates?
2: No, I think the beauty of being in uh, at the top level suddenly you're like you've made it. I'd, I'd say that exists in the when I was up and coming when I was an under twenty three trying to secure that pro contract. It's the wins that are the things that are going to get you that co- contract. So you are your teammates are also your competitors. But there are many similarly to football, a, a defender will n- probably never score a goal in foot. In cycling, there are um, there are plenty of. Uh, riders who are, you know, their job is to not win a race. Yeah, obviously well.
3: they are supporters by by, and by sacrificing
0: by, themselves yeah. for for others.
2: Well, in god, the that's
3: even mur- that worse, is... isn't it? When you're on the side of one of those mountains, you think I'm not, and I'm not actually going to try yeah. and win this. It must be murder.
0: Alex, can I? Ask you, what what's what makes your career all the more remarkable is is that that you have you are you suffer with haemophilia, so hence the
3: title of the book, Bloody right, Murder, yeah. I presume. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, which obviously is the the, the you 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 don't clot your blood doesn't clot when you cut yourself, right? Is that correct? that is? I know you haven't shaved this morning, for instance. So yeah. <laughs> no. Right now, your I mean your sport is is fraught with
2: danger and it has people been. People are always people like are always hanging there. off themselves. Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I I understand the irony and, and sort of what's somewhat more ironic is I, I got into cycling because of the sports I wasn't allowed to do in school football rugby because of the risks really? associated with them okay. and. Um, my parents and I went through this, or my family went through this journey where we we're trying to find sort of haemophilia-friendly sports. And and my with medication, my blood does coagulate. And, and I think right. that's the important thing is I was very fortunate with when I was born in that the medicine that had only just been sort of released to haemophiliacs, like created, was life-changing. Okay. and open this door to it, it, enable... Excuse
3: my ignorance, and I'm speaking on behalf of a, some of the audience. Just explain to people exactly what what the danger of haemophilia is untreated.
2: So I... I mean, externally, deep cut, no medication. I don't stop bleeding. Um, Until it's all gone? Uh, more or less. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, yeah. With medication, pretty much normal. Um, that's That's the big difference. But also... Internal bleeding into joints muscles is is a is a sort of fairly huge and quite debilitating side effect to hemophilia. That's something I had as a kid and then when the medication became um, prophylactic, so preventative rather than reactive, that's when kind of everything changed and and I could seemingly leave, live life. Normally, or even extraordinarily, and and, so and when, you have
0: yeah. So
2: so pulling a muscle, Alex, for you, if you pull a muscle,
0: you have a bleed obviously inside that muscle. What is that? Yeah. What is that doing inside your leg? That's different to anybody else that pulls a muscle. Um,
2: I think what that's doing is the, the bleed. It, it's it's a lot worse. The bleeding is far so the swelling more, will be yeah greater yeah. And then I think like calcification of like the after effects of that is is pretty. Um, Pretty brutal as well there's an awful lot of haemophiliacs older than me who have had to have their joints like fused in place um so like locking out an elbow in one position or an ankle in one position and, and that's it um is is pretty commonplace in, in older haemophiliacs uh,
3: and alex let me ask you a, a dim question but i hope important how do people discover and so they can get onto the the, the medication they need i mean. Is it just you cut your finger with a tin opener and then, and then you realise you <sighs> you're in the A and E?
2: Well I was my my diagnosis is that's super important because Yeah and I again lucky that my mum and dad were very like they forced um themselves upon my GP saying something isn't right. That this little boy is bruising so easily. Like they uh-huh. put me up, put my dad put me down. I'd have thumbprint bruises across my rib cage. Um in other and then demanded blood tests had blood tests and they came back and confirmed it um in other cases youngsters have gone to like nursery and stuff covered in bruises social services have been called of course and of course and then it's a very horrible ugly process to actually discover that there is no not there's no need for social services but to find the root of the bruising so mm. yeah, fortunate for myself Bruce. is it hereditary it is okay um, well there's a clue for everybody then yeah men have it it's, it's quite um it's taught in biology because of the way it's carried on the chromosomes men have it 99 percent of the time men have it women carry it so my mother is a carrier of haemophilia um my daughter is a carrier of haemophilia but they do not suffer any of the side effects um like i do Okay. Well, look.
3: I mean, that was the most I've ever heard about it and, and yeah. expressed so clearly. So, if the book only does that, it'll be brilliant. But Absolutely I happen to know, right. because of my own interest in these things, it's also full of great stories about cycling, including um, the time you you uh, broke the endurance record, which I thought still think was one of the most amazing things that ever happened. Um, riding around around a track at that speed for an hour—quite extraordinary, really. Look, the book is called now for obvious reasons: uh, "Bloody-minded: My Life in Cycling." There's plenty about the haemophilia. There's loads more about the cycling. I recommend it to you, of course. And it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much, Alex Dowsett. Thank you Alex, very much. thank you. The Hawksby and Jacobs
1: Daily Podcast.
3: I asked you earlier on to send us pictures or stories about your guitars, given that Andy's got a massive collection. My favourite so far, and this is no disrespect to the others, uh, Dave is in Tunbridge, and he says... I have a classic Gibson 339. Lovely guitar. What a guitar. Oh, and Andy, I sold you a guitar about 25 years ago when I worked in Rose Morris, big music dealers, in Denmark Street. Yeah. Can you remember his how
0: well, you got there, do you think? Dave, I can't remember that, um, but I can't remember what I was doing last week, to be honest with you. No mind 25 years ago. However, however, your 339 is a lovely piece of kit. Can't
3: remember the kid's christians, but he can remember the guitars. Correct. Right, this is um, from... <laughs> let me see this. Uh, I got a Washburn... I'm going mean, to say, I'm not a guitar expert. I've got a Washburn dime bag. That's the dime bag, Daryl. With the blue uh, lightning effect and an Ibanez uh, RG1R20E. Yeah. I used to own an Ibanez with a different number, seven string, which I sold a fair few
0: years ago and really regret. Good yeah. guitars? Well, I, I, I have no, I've never played a seven string never played no. never played a seven string guitar and i have never heard of I it I, mean, I don't even understand don't the concept uh, of playing no. a seven string guitar. we know that keith richard only has five strings but that's deliberate yes yeah. very deliberate that yeah. is but uh, lovely to uh, for the for uh, for our listeners to, yeah. uh, to send in a few a few of the the bits and bobs they've collected over the years and do you know what always dan guitar i find people who got guitar reluctant to actually get rid of them so in the end you know, you better half-office and start saying, What are you doing with all these? Where's this one going to go? You know, yeah. every time they open a cupboard, there's a guitar and a case in there. Do you know what I, I mean?
3: mean? I mean, I know, even amateurs, friends of mine who can play a bit. And you, you know, every time you go round to their house, you notice mm. that red one used to be, Oh, there's no space there for that one. There, so that's <laughs> why there's another one there. And finally, this is from Josh who said, My phone, Josh is not a techno. He says, My phone won't let me send a pic, but I have a rich body art warlock, filthy guitar. Filthy sound, he says, which, of course, is the
1: way you want these things described. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Friday
3: afternoon institution here on H&J is uh, talking to Mike Ward from The Daily Star, their TV reviewer about some things you might want to watch over the next seven days. Good afternoon, Mike. Hi, Mike. Uh, Very good of you to join us. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, uh, the first thing you've put in here, it almost seems like you don't have to recommend it, but I think people forget just the size of the stars and the quality of the entertainment that Graham Norton, whose new, new series comes on, Attracts.
5: Yeah, I think he's been doing it now since oh, I think it's about 2007, something like that. And the quality of the guest, the caliber of the guest, is always just out of this world. You know, chat shows come and go, and chat show hosts come and go. But he's he's just managed to be consistently good. And also, he has this great knack um, of bringing out sides of the people that you come on the show that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And also, getting a sort of the,
3: the, the dynamic between the guests mm.
5: working in a way that Sometimes oh, no, it's, dumb, it's, it's really
3: annoying because he's so brilliant at it. I want to tell you what an awful git he is, but my <laughs> my wife, bless her, um, makes <laughs> that makes his books podcast with him. The two of them bladder away about
0: novels and things. Oh right! And he's a really nice guy. On top oh, of all that talent, he really that? he's a really good bloke.
5: Oh no! Can't stand it. Can't I'd stand like it. It. I'd, I'd,
0: cool. I'd like him, Mike, to bring the chair back though. You know, with the leader. Yes. when he. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love because uh, that was a real. Feature. I used to love that part of, of of the show. It was always hilarious, and it, and the guests always used to love it too. didn't they? Do you know
5: what? I think they could, I can think of a lot of shows where they could bring that in instead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, including some of the
3: political ones. Mike, yes. um, the uh, Andy and I are both massive music fans. Yeah, I'm going to p- going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. Which would you choose? BBC Four's Genesis Night. Yeah. Or which tonight? or, yeah. tonight, yeah. or the uh, Sky Arts Beatles Night. On well, Saturday. you see, that's a
5: big one. I will go for the Beatles one. Any day, because I'm a huge Beatles fan and obsessive. Um, I do like Genesis, bizarrely, which is the one that's going out tonight, BBC4. But I'm one of those weird people who prefers them and their old prog rock weird days rather than when they I became no, sorry, mainstream.
3: know, sorry, that's the only correct answer. Once, once Peter Gabriel leaves, and they just become another, yeah. a, another sort of um, pop group, no one wants that. No, you, well, you that's want, you want the I'm stuff they're <laughs> writing about giant hogweeds and wearing huge flowers on Absol- his head. Absolutely, and being a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, uh, yeah, I think
5: we may be in the minority if you look at the the, the sales figures. You know but, what? You
3: know, you know what? That Mike, that never worries me. No. <laughs> no. <laughs>
5: No, I've noticed that.
3: Over the uh, okay, years, so but... you're 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 happy with with the Beatles night?
5: Beatles night, yeah. Now, sky out from six o'clock uh,
3: tomorrow night. Again, it. As a former railman myself, and mm. I still get a, a slight tear up when I see a train. I love the trains. Yes. Um, even if the country I now live in has absolutely destroyed their rail network, yes. um, I, I, I'm, I'm all for things about railways. Mm. But uh, these things are matching up. Celebrities and not necessarily celebrities at the peak of their powers. To them, is Nick Knowles' amazing railway adventures any good? I actually quite
5: like this show. I, I mean, he, he never goes on the sort of trains that we have to go on. So he always goes abroad, and he always goes on one of those trains that shows that everybody, everybody else's rail service is a thousand times better than ours. And he, so he never goes on something that breaks down or, or, you know, wrong kind of leaves on the line and all kind of kind of stuff. So obviously, a lot of it. You've is, no
3: you, idea how dangerous leaves on the line are. I can tell you from my time on the railways, oh, and, particularly, and if to... got, particularly if you've got a third, work, a third rail working. They can be very, very tricky indeed. And okay. I hate the way they've become um, the, the oh, arbiter. Oh God, what of, have uh, I done? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> the truth is, though, my dad retired from and I left the railways at about the same week. Yeah. They've gone downhill every day since then. They've not got any better. and no. I, I reckon the two things are not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to make railway programmes, though, isn't it? Because they tend to be cutting through lovely scenery the whole lo-
5: time. Lo- 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 lovely scenery. He gets off the Train quite a lot, um, which is quite a, a you know, a, yeah, adds a certain element of variety as the episodes pass. So, this week, for example, he's going from Naples to Sicily, starts off near Vesuvius, uh, and ends up near Mount Etna. So, there's mm, a kind of link yeah. there, which is quite good.
0: Mike, tell us about the uh, the Netflix three parter who shot Jill Dando. Because oh, yeah, that was just... that was that was such a such a Shocking... Horrifying
5: and bizarre. You know, to this day, I mean, that was nineteen ninety nine. So we're talking. Is that how you know, long ago that yeah. was? Twenty four years ago. Years ago. Um, and I can remember when the news came through, and it was just baffling, and it's still baffling. This is this, this new th- this thing on Netflix, which has arrived this week. Three three episodes of a documentary, which hears from people who worked with her, hears from people who investigated it, and sort of, and, you know, the various red herrings that uh, that, that, that popped up. Uh, you you hear from. Um, crime reporters who worked on the case at the time um, and they just try and piece the pieces together in, in a way that's, that, that well, nobody's really quite managed it's, mm. it's a very odd uh, thing. and also we get lots of clips uh, because it's got enough time to sort of you know breathe as a lot of documentaries don't we get a lot of things putting in context as to you know f- you know 24 years and a lot of people you know younger people might not understand who she was and sure you know, how she was a sort of figure sort of very sort of likable mainstream tv yeah. presenter the most unlikely person that anyone would have an issue with so yeah uh, very uh, strange
3: and at the end i mean you talked about her you know we uh, rob forcing things in documentaries, the speed at which we all live, the way we're all so connected to each other by WhatsApp and, uh, and telephones and, and all kinds of devices. Yeah. I think that might be the reason, and I think this is not an original thought, I think Andy Jacobs says this as well, yeah. why arguably the best TV programme um, currently on is the one that does this the least. Mortimer and White House gone yeah. fishing. I mean, uh, on paper doesn't make any sense two old (laughs) geezers and you know I know both of them so I can say two old geezers (laughs) um, sit by the side of a river talking Codswallop, no yep. pun intended, <laughs> yeah. and it is <laughs> riveting television. And partially because it's allowing you a mental space just to just to enjoy something yeah. different.
5: It is. It's like a detox, isn't it? You watch it, and uh, you know it helps if you if like me, you're of a certain age that isn't dissimilar to theirs, and yeah, you're looking sure. and, and you're watching this stuff and you're tapping into. It. But also because you know that so much of it. I mean, it's television, so I understand that certain elements of stage. But by by television standards, it's very natural. And you know when they're talking. I mean, I've, you know, I've interviewed them a few times and uh, you obviously know them much better, but but there's nothing that feels forced about those conversations and and, and, and the, no, the they,
3: they, they are No, there are two gentlemen who have had the talent over the years to do a million different brilliant things and now yeah. they've suddenly, at this stage of their career, they've found the perfect spot for themselves. Yeah. It's an absolute miracle. And while I agree the show may be more enjoyable uh, if you're of a certain vintage, clearly the way it's been recommissioned and in prime slots, yeah. it's obviously doing a lot better than just old geezers. So that's fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? You've
1: been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Muscal and Andrew Scott.